Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us, joining us online or as well in the house. Maybe you're vacationing, maybe you're visiting some family members, uh, maybe you're just here checking us out as you're moving into the area, whatever it is. We're grateful to have you. We're around 14 sermons into the Gospel of Mark as we've been walking through this first part of the gospel. We broke it into three parts. This first part being chapters one through eight, specifically speaking about the public ministry of Jesus. And we've been asking the question, or been trying to answer the question, who is this guy? By uh, the series title, This Is Who He Is. We want to find out from scripture, not from people's opinions or thoughts or the Jesus I know would. We want to know what Jesus did looking at scripture. And it's been a book of action and excitement, enthusiasm. The word immediately is throughout it. And today we're coming across one of my favorite passages of scripture. I'm excited to share it with you today. You know, you can go back to moments in your life and remember significant times that served as spiritual illustrations. And one I can specifically think of is a time when a counselor had climbed up the side of a rock to go rock climbing in front of a group. Now, at the camp I worked at, we had indoor climbing course that the kids would train at, and then we would go out and we'd experience the real thing. See, the indoor climbing courses were often some 25 to 30 feet high, similar to the ceiling in the auditorium we're in today. But when you went outside, oh man, the mountain in front of you, that was a whole nother animal, if you will. Now, we weren't free climbers. I'm not no experienced rock climber, but I remember serving in a lot of these camps when we go out to these rock climbing walls, if you will, and watching them go up and attack these different things. And one of the things you had to have is an experienced climber at the top, at the pinnacle, put down an anchor that you would tie rope to that the climber would be attached to as well as the person at the bottom of the mountain, which was doing what was called Bouleing, all right? And, and so what you would do is, um, I just happen to have a rope hanging from the ceiling over here, just in case I talked about this. Uh, what you would do is, is, is you would have the person go, they would get the cantilene, they'd put this on them, and then they would start to the mountain, and then somebody would lock up to them so that they're attached together, and uh, they'd have harnesses, I'm only on my back, and they'd have harnesses, and they'd, they'd pull this thing tight, and then up the side of the mountain, they went, Applying or allowing tension based on their, let's be honest, fear level. If you knew you had a younger climber who was very nervous about the rock, you kind of held it tight. You made them feel snug, like somebody's holding on to them. And if it was somebody more experienced that would rather be free climbing, but you don't want them to kill themselves at camp, you, you go, hey, just hang on, all right? You'll be fine. And away they go. And there's this one counselor who's a, great athlete, uh, very accepted in camp. You know, he, he would you know, have fun with everybody. Everybody really enjoyed him. But um, the, the rock climbing wall was kind of his, his thing where he, it just exposed some stuff in him. And one of those things was a phobia he had of being in high places. And so he'd climb and climb and they balloon and, and he'd check a few times. Hey, you got me? You got me? And you always wanted your, the person who was belaying you to have a little more girth. 
Just made you feel a little safer, right? And they're like, yeah, we're good. We got you. Keep going. Okay. And then you get to this point in the rock and he would always get there where you had to really take kind of a leap. You, you couldn't just reach it. You were going to have to let go and kind of go for it. The terminology in rock climbing is doing a dyno or doing a dynamite move where you would have to almost release and grab to continue on. And he'd get right there and mysterious things would happen. Oh, my knee's been bothering me all week. I'm sure I'm gonna maybe just shut it down right here. Any little league coaches after four walks, all of a sudden the arm hurts, three strikeouts, it was fine. Four, oh, I'm out, man, something's going on, right? And, 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 and he could continue to check down. Are you guys got me? We got you, we got you. You're able to catch me if I were to fall. We got you, are we able to catch him? We're more than able to catch him. It's not even that big a deal. He needs to keep, keep going, keep going. All right, I'm, th- I'm gonna keep going. And, and you're watching and, and you're hearing belief coming from his mouth. You guys got, we got you. All right, I trust you, I trust you. All right, I'm gonna jump. Will you catch me? We're gonna catch you. All right, I believe you will, I believe you will. All right, go. You heard belief, but the behavior didn't match the belief. And before you knew it, he would come down and unchain himself, hand it to the 13-year-old girl behind him and she'd go flying right up to him out. And that's exactly what everyone did to him as he would walk off. The people who are a little more intuitive said, that guy's got a phobia, not a knee problem. And as they would laugh at him and say, hey, you got stuck. Oh, what's going on? When are you going to get to the top? It would remind him that there was something holding him back from getting to see the pinnacle that everybody wants to see. Do you know where that climber pictured on the screen is at in the rock? He's at what you could call the mediocris. Mediocris is a Latin word that comes from two words. Medius meaning middle and acris being jagged mountain. He's in the middle of a jagged mountain. Mediocris is the root form of a word you know, and that word is mediocre. Mediocre is the middle of the rock. You're not at the bottom, but you're certainly not at the top. In my college years, my faith was being challenged, and that illustration always spoke to me. For I opened up a book by an author named Charles Swindoll. And the book was titled, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, Pursuing Excellence for God. And I just was hooked on that book. And it served as an inspiration in my life. For it, it laid out to me a path that was very different than the paths I was watching. See, when you get into your 20s, you watch some of your friends who went to youth group with you no longer come to church. You watch people you saw had faith all of a sudden acting like they want nothing to do with God. You hear teachers saying what you believe is dumb or lacks education 
and you're in a spot in your life where you gotta make a decision. <laughs> is it gonna be mom and dad's faith or is it gonna be my faith? And I found myself right in the middle of the rock. I think back to that counselor that was in the middle of the rock and I know a little bit of the backstory. When he was a younger man, very young, he was on the top of some skyscrapers and he became terrified of the heights. Do you remember those binoculars that were on the screen? You remember you put a quarter in them and you look around? Back and forth, you could look and you can kind of fix your eyes on things across the horizon. But the height was unbelievable when you're on top of those facilities. And it had terrified that young man that it was exposing itself on the side of the rock that day. Where he would eventually just come down to the laughter of, look who can't do it. You know, you can look at that picture and picture a young boy looking back and forth before looking over and being terrified. But there's something really neat about that image that has spoke to me. I've put it with a verse in my life that has served as a motivator for faith when it seems other people's faith around me are falling apart. You hear of this Christian singer who no longer believes in God. You hear of kids in your youth group as a youth pastor who don't even care. You hear of moms and dads that don't, and, and, it, and it's all around you and you're going, God, God, I feel like everyone's faith around me is falling apart. Should mine? The verse that comes to my mind that has served as a massive inspiration in my life, and one of the reasons I truly believe I'm in ministry and still in ministry to this day, is that with those binoculars, you go back and forth, right? There's another phrase for back and forth. You know what it is? It's this to and fro. Now, if you spoke like that, people would think you're weird, okay? So teens, if you're at college or high school or whatever, you're going, I'm looking around to and fro. People are like, okay, whatever, Charles Dickens, right? But, but, but like, we, we, we hear this phrase, and it's a scriptural phrase, and I want, you, I want you to read this verse with me. Ready? Here it is, here it is. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. You see the imagery here? It's as if God point of view, if you will, POV, God POV has binoculars and he's looking throughout the world. He's going to and fro and he's looking to show himself strong for those who have faith in him. Those who are not walking away, but coming towards, even if it's just mustard faith. For those who are desiring to continue to climb towards what God has for them and not settle for mediocrity in the areas of holiness and love for the word and obedience to his scripture. He's searching the world. It's almost like you can picture kids on an island by themselves going, God, over here, hey, look, see me. What makes God's eyes stop on someone? 
there's someone. There's faith. I want to show myself strong for that. That verse in my own spiritual life has served as a motivator to say, God, even if everyone around me falls away, keep watching and helping me because I want to be a man of faith, not of doubt. For they're like a wave tossed in the sea. They're double-minded. And I have seen the life of folly and I've seen the life of wisdom. I want to pursue wisdom. What is he looking for? What specific things is the eyes of the Lord going to and fro looking for? I believe it's faith. But there's an amazing verse in scripture. It's in the gospel of Luke. It's a little tucked away verse. You're not gonna get this if you get your verses of the day probably. And that's your only Bible reading. If you, if you really kind of search the page of scriptures, you find verses like this. And this is spoken out of the mouth of Jesus. And here's what he says about this look. But when the son of man comes, in other words, when the time of the end is near, when things are coming to an end, the Greek word, there's kind of a root called eska, eska or eschatology is the study of the times of the end. When the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find it? When the son of man comes, as things grow closer to the end, will he find faith? And in a time period where it feels, or it can seem, or every article you read in a magazine about Christianity is people walking away from the church or, or how people are leaving the things of the Bible or things that are mythical now have come to a note. When in a time period where it's just constantly being bombarded at our young people, at college students, at seniors, at moms and dads, at business leaders or whatever, in that time, will God find faith? Or will those binoculars look across the globe and just see people without faith? Is this important? I would argue it is. Because I think a lot more Christians are struggling than they're willing to admit because of everything that's going on around them. And it might just make their prayer life, their pursuit of holiness, their pursuit of God's will in their life, mediocre. When God has so much more for them. Oh, without faith. The phrase comes from Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he, look at the promise, rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those with faith. Do you believe God is able to help you in your current condition? Oh, oh I believe it. Are you behaving that way? Do you believe God can do the impossible in that person's life that you care so much about? Oh, I believe he can. Are you behaving that way? Do you believe God sent his son Jesus 
who conquered death and offers resurrection life to the children of God with the ability to renew, revive, and restore, and repair, and rebirth, and all those things that the re-prefix brings. I do. Are you behaving that way? See, it's one thing to believe it, but your actions telling you a very different story. Today, in our Gospel of Mark, we are going to see three faiths that come up to Jesus. And we're gonna see how the eyes of the Lord look at it. Two of the faiths, two of the faiths are rewarded by Jesus. And one of the faiths is not. I pray today inspires you to not live without faith, but to start climbing again Get out of the middle of the rock. Pursue the pinnacle that God has for you and what he wants you to see and not allow fear, doubt, discouragement, past, difficulty, pain to keep you from moving forward. Are you able, are you guys able to catch me if I come off the rock? Oh, we're not able, we're more than able. And that will be the title of our sermon today. For you serve a savior in Jesus who's not just able. Oh, he's more than able. Hope you're excited to hear these three faith stories today. See where you fit and may it inspire you in your walk with a very faithful God. Jesus, use your text today. I believe your children need a boost of encouragement. I believe all of us kids who love our Heavenly Father so much could use a reminder of who they serve. And I pray you use your text today and these stories today to do just that. For there might be just somebody who thinks their story has been written and you're only just getting started. There might be some, somebody in this room who thinks that you're, 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 you're done with that, but you want to go back and revisit it. And Lord, I pray that we would have more passion in this room because of looking at the faith in these stories to continue climbing, not saying we believe you, not saying we trust you, but behaving like it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so who are the faiths? All right, let's look off into the horizon and we'll see a ruler's faith, a woman's faith, and a messenger's faith. Now, for those of you who've been with us in our Mark series, you know he loves to talk in threes. And specifically, we call them the Mark sandwiches sometimes. We're to learn about each one of them. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go first to the ruler's faith, then the woman's faith, and then we're gonna finish with the messenger's faith. And I want you to see which one or ones get the eyes of the Lord to stop and reward, and which one isn't rewarded at all. Scripture begins and says this, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Who, who, who finds it kind of cute 
that Mark includes the fact that he used a boat. See, because Mark knows sometimes Jesus crosses seas and doesn't use boats. So this time he used a boat. Isn't that great? I love it. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, he came and one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him came and fell at his feet. Who's been with us in our study long enough to realize how many people fall before Jesus' feet in the gospel of Mark? Every knee bows. Mark is continually pointing out people's behaviors and emotions. Very important to him. It's almost like Mark's not buying what you say. He wants to see how you behave. What's going on? He implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Interesting word here. It's derived from the Greek eskos or eskos. Even the word we get eschatology, okay? My little daughter is near the end, okay? She's near the end. It's, it's almost over, eschatos, near the end. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be way well and live. I want to mark this faith. He has what I want to call, I wrote my notes, able faith. He comes to Jesus and says, if you touch her, if she... Mm, Oh, if you touch her, I know you're capable. Ah, I know you're believable. I know you're reliable. And so I come to you and I say, if you just touch her, she'll be made well. Now this Jairus is a ruler of a synagogue who has this able faith, which means he was most likely a high level lay person in the synagogue ministering in this religious environment, very well respected, probably very well known. And he's coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I've seen you work, basically. I know you're able. His behavior matches his belief. I believe you're able, so I came directly to you. Is that rewardable? Let's see. And so it says, he went with him. I believe you're able. If you just go and touch her. And it moved Jesus. So I put, when the eyes of the Lord see able faith, it is rewarded. Able faith is a rewardable faith. What would you be willing to ask God to do for you if you believed he was truly able to do. But you were asking him to do. So I'd, I'd ask him everything. Okay, then let me ask you, are you behaving that way? Is your prayer life a prayer life that prays to a Jesus who is able? I believe he's able. I struggle with whether he's willing. But remember, prayer is not aligning God to your will. Prayer is aligning your will to his. We realign in prayer. And so able faith comes to God and he does the car alignment and lets you leave the shop. The devil knows that. And he don't want you to have an able faith because an able faith is a praying faith. Child of God, if you've stopped praying about someone or for someone or for something, there's a chance that the enemy is shaking your able faith and keeping you 
in mediocrity. And a great crowd followed him. And, and they thronged about him. The idea is Jesus is now walking. He's, he's going towards this little girl who's dying. Jairus has got Jesus to move. Abel faith has moved Jesus. And now he's going. And scripture says this, that, that when it happened, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Scripture never gives me a break, I don't think, in some of these areas. I did the Joshua series and had to talk about circumcision for weeks. So, um, I'll put it this way. This is a lot worse than maybe even the ladies understand in the room. She has a flow of blood that she cannot stop. So therefore, she has a very physically dire situation. And it wasn't like that first year I was really kind of coming to the Lord about it, but the second year I was getting a little more discouraged, but the third year it got really tough. The fourth year, the fifth, not even the seventh, eighth, or ninth. For 12 years this has been going on, but it's not just physical. If you read anything about the Levitical ceremonial laws, a woman with a flow of blood would not be allowed to go to the synagogue. This is not just, this is not just physical. This is impacting her spiritual life. For she would be labeled with a flow of blood that she's unable to stop as someone with an issue. More specifically, when you had issues during that time period, you weren't a leper, you were unclean. You weren't a woman with a flow of blood, you were unclean, you were labeled. And those labels are like chains. And you can't get out of them and you can't experience freedom. She's physically, emotionally, and now spiritually in turmoil. And you ever feel like sometimes when you're having a difficult year that the pile on seems overwhelming? Watch the way Mark does this. He uses end, A-N-D, to kind of illustrate the pile on of this woman. Not only she had that for 12 years, but she had suffered much at the hand of many physicians. And she had spent all that she had. And she was no better. She rather grew worse. She went and she went to many doctors, many doctors. She spent tons of money. And she wasn't better. She was worse. She heard reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Why? Mark tells us. Because she said, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. I wrote down, I see possible faith. I see possible faith. He's incredible. He's accessible and he's tangible. If I just get up and touch him, oh, I've heard he's a miracle worker and he could do a miracle in my life, but I got to get close. I can't do that from back here. I've got to get close. And a possible faith begins to navigate the crowd, even though she's unclean. She don't care what they all say. She's got to get to Jesus. This world has labeled her. Only he can change her entire life and possible faith moves. And she touched him. And what happened? Well, help me out here, church, right? And 
Immediately, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd, thronging about him and said, who touched me? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around in you. And yet you say, who touched me? Anybody could have touched you, right? And he looked around to see who had done it. Let me help, let me help. He looked to and fro for faith. And Jesus said, who touched me? Who, who touched me? Who touched me? Imagine how quiet. Who, identify yourself. Who touched me? Who touched me? Scripture says, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she feels well, came in fear and trembling because she's unclean and she touched a rabbi which would make him unclean. And she told him the whole truth. How much of the truth did she tell Jesus? You hiding anything from him that he already knows? She just said, here's the deal. I've had this flow of blood going. I've been in emotional pain and spiritual pain. My life has been awful. I just felt if I got close to you, I'd be made well. She hears this guy going, who touched me? And all this crowd, and she's in front of everybody. It was me. And he turns to her and says, Daughter, what, wait, wait, what, daughter? The most endearing term he could use? Daughter, daughter, your touch has made you well. Whoa, 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 check the scripture. Your faith has made you well. See, faith was the instrument. Jesus was the one who was effective for her faith. He was the one who healed her struggle with the flow of blood. But it was her faith that was the instrument that brought her there. Her possible faith. He said, go in peace. See, a possible faith is a rewarded faith. What would you be willing to try? What step of faith would you be willing to make if you truly believed it was possible for Jesus to change your situation. You, you gotta jump and grab. You're gonna have to let go. It's kind of like a, make a, like a dino move. Okay, I trust you guys, I'll do it. Okay, go. I trust you. Then go. You'll catch me, right? Oh, my word. Climb. but we're stuck in mediocrity because our mouths are saying one thing and our behaviors are doing another. What would you do if you truly believed it was possible for Jesus to change the situation? You say, I don't know. Like if I knew God's will, I would move forward. Cop out. We know God's will. What? Rejoice always. Pray always, thank always. Why? For this is God's will for you.
God's will is not a destination. God's will is a decision. Whenever we're moving towards things of God, we're not moving away from Jesus. I just don't know if this girl is God's will for me. Okay, are you growing closer to Jesus or further away? Much further away. Okay, that's not him. Ah. The will of God will draw you towards the things of God, not away. I really think God's leading me to no longer read the Bible and kind of question everything. Yeah, yeah, okay. The things of God will draw you closer, not farther. Don't let the enemy fool you in the middle of the rock. And while he was still speaking, there came someone from the ruler's house who, who said, he's like, you almost sense Jairus is going, all right, let's get to my daughter. Remember that, Jesus, he has stopped with this woman. That's great, glad she's good. We got a girl dying. And they brought the worst news possible. They said, your daughter's dead. No parent wants that phone call. But look at the next line. This is the messenger's faith. Why trouble the teacher any further? I hope that's not anybody's prayer life in the room. Hey, hey, the time where I asked God to come through for me had his come and went, so don't really need to bother God on this one anymore. But overhearing what they said, Forgive me, Jesus, for the times I voiced doubt and you overhear me. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Come on. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. You three come. I want faith to come. Come on, come on, dad, don't believe him. No, no, nobody else, nobody else. Hey, nobody else. Come on, you guys, let's go. I want faith in the room. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. In the study of interpreting scripture, it's threefold. Literary, grammatical, and historical. So literary, taking the word and its literal interpretation. There's grammatical, understanding the Greek or Hebrew, New Testament and Greek, Hebrew um, being the Old Testament, understanding the grammatics of the word. The third is historical. When you know historical, you know some of the culture behind this. Do you know why this was occurring? In that time period, just as we have cultural things in the 21st century, like having a funeral, they would hire professional mourners. Yeah. You were required to have people come play instruments, and weep and wail outside your home. If you were a person of poverty, the minimum requirement of you was at least two flutes and someone mourning out front of your house. For those who had a little more wealth and means, they would often have these large, large mourning events. So it seems some time has gone by since the little girl has passed. For at Jairus' house, there is much wailing. Imagine what Jesus is walking into. He sees this commotion. People are weeping and wailing. The professional mourners have come. Flutes are playing. People are crying. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? What? What? Jesus, are you that out of touch? Look at the facts here. She's dead. 
I've done some research on this. I've Googled this. When the pulse stops, you're done. This whole faith stuff, it's kind of, you need this crutch. I get it, Christian, you know all this crutch. Like, like I, I studied this. I know that, that uh, we know something. If someone stops breathing, they're gone. And Jesus says, the child's not dead, but sleeping, a Jewish euphemism to say she's dead, but something's about to change. And you, and you know what? You know what? Have you ever been laughed at for believing in Jesus? Do you know Jesus has been too? Look at this. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. <laughs> She's only sleeping. <laughs> you, you don't think we checked her pulse? She's only sleeping. They laughed at him. You ever see that verse in scripture? People laughing at Jesus. I wrote down in my journal the third one: lifeless faith. Lifeless. Lifeless faith. Meaningless. Don't bother the teacher. <laughs> it's over. It's meaningless. Um, it's hopeless, okay? The time for saving the day has come and now it's gone. So it's hopeless, okay? And it's senseless. You see, lifeless faith looks at Jesus and says, Let's just talk reality. I know you all appreciate gathering in your churches on Sunday, but when someone walks the earth 2,000 years ago, okay, and they're in the history books, and we have complete evidence that they did walk the earth, so I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But when they do that, and they're no longer walking around, that means they're dead. And that's what a child of God who grew up in the church and never made their faith in Jesus their own is on that rock going, I climbed up that Jesus loves me, this I know. But I wasn't expecting to get laughed at. And now you gotta make a decision. Do you want the approval of the world? Or do you want the eyes of the Lord to look to and fro and find you? What does Jesus do with a lifeless faith? Here's what he does. But he put them all outside and he took the child's mother and father and those who were with him, James, Peter, and John, and they went in where the child is. <laughs> because a lifeless faith stays outside. Because a lifeless faith is not a rewardable faith. How would you behave if you truly behaved, not, not believed, not just said out loud, Jesus is still alive. How would you act? How would you climb if you knew and behaved like Jesus is still alive? Would it make you want to climb again? What do you think in your life has come to an end and it's no longer worth bothering the teacher? What dream were you pursuing? I mean, you watched God walk you through this providential, brought you up, you applied, you had it, and then it's gone. 
You, you went for it, you went out for the team and they, they said no. You, 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 got, you tried so many times, you and your husband so many times and yet the child won't come. I mean, you, you, you do whatever you can, you try this and try that and, and you know what, you're just flat out, can you be honest in church, you're discouraged. And it's hard to sing and it's hard to see how sometimes other people, they pray and stuff happens, but for your family or your life, it's just like, oh my word, and this, and that, and this. And the enemy sneaks into that life and goes, it's a bunch of garbage anyway. Walk away from this stuff. But those who the eyes of the Lord love to show up strong for are a mom and dad with able faith who walked into that room and watched Jesus go up to their daughter, take her by the hand, scripture says, and said to her, Talithakumi, which means, did anybody know? It's Aramaic. It means, daughter, get up. Or little girl, I say to you, arise is how Mark translates it. And, and can you imagine how Mark's gonna say this? Help me out here. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. I mean, this is incredible. She's been dead. And Jesus says, little girl, get up. Little girl, get up. Are there any ladies that need to hear Jesus say that right to them this morning? Come on, get up. I'm so discouraged. Get up. I want to do more. Get up. But it, it, I've, I've asked before, get up. And she gets up. And it's great. She doesn't say, give me a minute. I've been dead for a while. I get my legs, get my arms. She just starts walking around the room because she's completely fine. And he strictly charged them to tell no one this and told them to give her something to eat. Good grief, she must be hungry, give her some food. <laughs> Temporal death is really just no big deal for Jesus when you watch it in scripture. Just literally no big deal. Talithakumi, I wrote it down. In order to leave mediocrity, in order to keep climbing, you need Talithakumi faith. The faith that Jesus isn't just able, he is more than able. He is alive and can still do the impossible. For he says in John, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even though they die, will live. Are you, are you saying I should be praying for a dead loved one to live again? No, no, we're talking about that spiritual resurrection. Look, if the Lord wants to do something like he did back then, he'll do it himself. In just a few more chapters, he'll rise from the grave. But here, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will see re in your life. You will see me revive things, rebuild things, repair things, restore things. And so let's look at these faiths. And we might as well relax, it doesn't sound like we wanna go anywhere. <laughs> Cozy in here for now. <laughs> Able faith. Able faith believes Jesus can restore, but learns they must follow in belief for it to happen. What 
Is God asking for able faith in your life? You believe he can, but he wants to see the behavior. Follow me into this, but it's scary. Follow me into this. I put in my notes, faith in Jesus will not make whatever you're facing easy, but it can make it possible. Faith in Jesus will not make what you're dealing with right now easy, but it will make it possible. The second faith we saw was the woman's faith. A possible faith believes Jesus can renew, but knows they must take a step of faith in order for it to see it happen. The enemy wants you to have to fight over and over in your mind the what ifs. What if I leap and then this happens? Well, what if this? And God doesn't give out this whole strategic plan. He just wants you to take the next step. And that step will always be towards him, not away from him. A possible faith in Jesus will not make this effortless, but it can make you fearless. And then that third faith, the lifeless faith. See, lifeless faith I wrote down. Lifeless faith believes Jesus can revive, but thinks it's now simply too late for it to happen. What do you feel like is over? Chris, you don't understand. They said no. You don't understand. I mean, I had to do it by that date. You don't understand. It, it, it had to be done. I've listened to countless stories of God providing for people after the moment for saving the day has come and gone. Faith in Jesus will not go back and change how this began. There may have been a lot of things you've done in your life and you're dealing with the consequences of poor decisions. Faith in Jesus is going to just take away all the consequences. Faith in Jesus will not go back and change how you got here. But... It can start right now where you are and change how it ends. The eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro. And he wants to show up strong for those who want to see what the pinnacle looks like. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he does what? He rewards those who earnestly seek him. But, but, but when the son of man looks, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Hey, we got you. We got you. Are you guys able to hold me? If, if I were to fall, we're able to hold you, man. We got you. Go. We got this rope. Go. Go. All right. You got me? Yeah, we got you. You trust us? Oh, I trust you. All right. You believe we're able? Yeah, I believe you're able. Well, we're more than able. Go. All right, I'm, I'm going to go. Okay. Do you have able faith? Yes. Does your prayer life behave that way? God, I need your help. And he came with him. All right, hey, you can get there, man. You gotta take a leap. Go to that next rock. There's that crevice there, all right? Reach up your hand, grab it, okay? You gotta release and grab it. 
Well, what if, what if I miss it? We'll catch you. You, you, you will? Yes, we'll catch you. We're gonna actually make it a little tight. Now go, grab it. You just gotta stop looking at us. Look up the mountain, okay? Look up the mountain, grab that crevice. And when you grab that crevice, you'll be able to get to the next crevice. Okay, do you believe you can? I, I believe I can if you, if you hold me. Okay, we're gonna hold you. You just, you just go. Do you believe it's possible for you to get? I totally believe it's possible. All right, do it. My arm's been bothering me. Get with you. What is he asking you to take that step of faith? Because it's one thing for us to say it. And it's another to be around people who keep unlocking and going, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I can trust Jesus. But I don't serve a Jesus who's able I serve a Jesus who's more than able. There's been a song I'm repeating in my car. This song's been more than able. Chandler Moore and Tiffany Hudson sing it. And it's such an illustration of this whole text. And it speaks to me every time I hear it because I truly think as children of God, we need some encouragement that he is more than able. When did I all of the great things you did. You ever forgotten what he's done? When did I throw away faith for the impossible? You remember the time where you kind of threw away whether he could do the impossible? How did I start to believe you weren't sufficient for me? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? What fear is talking you out? What discouragement is making you think that Jesus isn't more than able to help you right now? seen him do it in the past he can do it in the future if we see him do it in scripture he can do it in our lives and when you remember that he's able you start saying who am I to say he can't who are these people around me who say he can't because he's done it before and he can do it again and that gets your confidence back us that we serve a savior who's more than able instills our confidence in our faith we got keep climbing we are attached to the rope that's fixated to heaven and he can still do miracles in our lives and who are we who is anybody around you 
to deny what God might want to do in your life, in your family, in your health. And so Jesus walks into that room, doesn't he? And he gets James and Peter and John, mom and dad, because he wants faith in the room. Can you imagine what can happen when you put that much faith in a room? And he walks up to the little girl. I mean, what was that room like? He stands next to her and he says, Talith the Kuma. And she stands up and they all see it because there was no way. But the way maker walked into the room and now anything is possible. In your prayer life, in your home, in your life, where's the enemy telling you, you are mediocre for the rest of time. Get down, climb off the rock. Look, everybody else is bailing on this thing, but the eyes of the Lord are looking around to and fro to show himself strong to those who believe that anything is possible. Anything is possible. And who are we to deny what the Lord can do? What voice in your head is telling you God can't do that? And that he's done and he, he, he's, it's too far gone. And where is he calling you? To keep moving with him, to take that step of faith and watch him deliver and prove that anything is possible for those who believe in him. Talitha Kumi faith, the faith that serves a God that's not only able, he's more than able. Father, we are in a very discouraging world. And at times for the child of God, we can feel like the enemy's winning. We're watching people denying what Jesus can do, laughing at people of faith, even mocking the book they cling to. And we will never win the approval of men finally Jesus. But the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the world 
seeking to show himself strong to those with able faith, those with possible faith, those with Talithakumi faith. And if there's anyone in here who might have a lifeless faith, may you show yourself to them that they might experience the joy of not being chained to worldly pursuits, worldly victories, worldly gain, but to the things of Jesus. Show yourself strong to that elementary kid who prays to a Jesus he so deeply believes in. Show yourself strong to that teenage girl that even though it feels like she's alone and the only one in a room doing devotions, show yourself strong. Show yourself strong to that college guy who took a stand for your truth even when it felt like everyone was laughing at him. Show yourself strong for that businessman. Show yourself strong for that businesswoman. Show yourself strong for that mom, for that dad who said this house will serve the Lord. Show yourself strong for that senior saint surrounded by complaining and bitterness to say, I believe Jesus is good because I believe the eyes of the Lord look to and fro to those children of God who don't want to live at mediocrity but they want to climb to the mountaintops for Jesus, knowing it will be scary, knowing it might be difficult, but knowing they have a Talitha Kumi, Jesus. Amen.